0: How are we doing this morning? Good, fine. When we run into a friend at Target or uh, when we run into a colleague at the gym, we normally ask that question, right? How are you? And if you're a true Minnesotan um, or Scandinavian Minnesotan, I suppose in my family, what is generally your response? Fine, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? But I think pretty close on the tails of fine is this other word that we say when someone asks how we're doing. Busy. Or we say, I'm so busy. I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Gotta run. We are busy. And if I asked you to give account, an account of how you spend your time and how you spend your days, could you remember all that you do? Would you, do you think you'd be surprised by anything that you would recall? The Wall Street Journal con- conducted a study on how Americans spend their day and found that it has definitely changed over the past decade. And flowing data actually has an interactive graph to show us how their sample of Americans spend their day. So we go from sleeping to work to eating to traveling to shopping to leisure. I watched this for about 20 minutes yesterday. Because <laughs> it's just so mesmerizing. So, how do we decide to spend our days? If you've ever heard the Annie Dillard quote before, she says, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What might be comforting to hear is that this question has actually perplexed people for centuries. We are actually not the First Nation, not the First People group to struggle and wrestle and answer the question of how are you doing with the word busy. Last week, John explained that we have been journeying with the Israelites through their story, and that we turned a corner, and now we find ourselves learning lessons in the wilderness with the Israelites. We have walked with them through slavery, through leaving Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and they now find themselves wandering in the desert, not just for 40 minutes or 40 days, but for 40 years. Last week, we looked at the entire Israelite community and how they were handling their wandering, how they were handling their time in the wilderness. And this week, we're going to specifically zero in on just Moses, because though Moses was one of the great leaders of scripture, of, the, of time, Moses still had a couple lessons or two to learn when he was in the wilderness as well. So let's pray as we dive into Scripture. God, thank you that 500 years ago, uh, Scripture was put into our hands. That we can sit in your word no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in life, we have access to you through your word. I pray, Father, that this morning, you would be the loudest voice in this room. Lord, that you would speak truth and life and grace into our lives, that we would clearly hear from you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to be in Exodus 18 this morning. If you want to pull out one of your pew Bibles, it'll be on the screen as well, but we have a lot of scripture to cover this morning, so stick with us. Verse 1 in chapter 18 Moses' father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Jumping down to verse 5 Jethro, Moses' father in law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and his two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people of Israel were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father in law, am coming to see you and your wife and two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked each other about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses and Jethro had a really good relationship. When Moses ran away from Pharaoh, it was to Jethro that he ran. And then Jethro gave him one of his daughters to marry, flocks of his to tend to. Jethro and Moses had a good relationship, and Jethro got to hold a front row seat as he watched God work in Moses' life. Continuing on in verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about the hardships that they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hands of Egypt. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I now know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the proud Egyptians." Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all of the other Israelite elders came around them and joined them in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Moses and Jethro got to have some time together, some time where Moses could just truly let himself go and be authentic and be vulnerable and talk to this man who has been so close to him. Do you have anyone in your life that you can be truly authentic with? I have a handful of people who I can truly be myself with, and I love it when I get to spend time with them. I plopped myself on Debbie Manning's couch in her office a week or two ago and said, "Um, Do you have about an hour and a half? Because Debbie is one of those people who speaks truth into my life, who listens to me, and who lets me be totally who I am. She doesn't just accept me for who I am. She embraces all of me. And I sat in her office for no joke an hour and a half, and I talked for an hour and a half. Because sometimes you just need those people. Debbie is one of those Jethro-type people in my life. Continuing on in verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father in law saw that Moses, what Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you doing? Why are you trying to accomplish this all on your own while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? And Moses replied to him, "'Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. "'When a dispute arises, they come to me. "'And I am the one who settles the cause "'between the quarreling parties. "'I inform the people of God's decrees "'and give them his instructions.'" And Jethro looked at Moses, probably with these loving, embracing eyes, and said, "'This is not good, Moses.'" You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, Moses, and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should, you should continue being the people's representative before God and bringing their disputes to him. You should teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But you've got to select from all the people some capable and honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over the groups. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes. But then have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow the advice and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all the people will go home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Charles Swindoll says that this specific lesson in Moses' life applies to everyone. The Christian business person, the Christian professional, the Christian teacher, the Christian student, all of us who have areas of responsibility, and especially those of us who tend to do more than they should to accomplish those responsibilities. So basically, all of us. Jethro was a really good mentor to Moses. I love what it says in verse 1. Jethro heard of everything that God had done to Moses. But what does it say in verse 8? It says that Moses went and he told Jethro all that had happened to him. Having these types of Jethro people in our lives means that we get to have mentors who listen to us, even if they already know everything that's going on. After Moses told Jethro everything, Jethro took time to praise God and offer sacrifices he continued to be a mentor to Moses by bringing him back to his relationship with God. I love the process that Jethro goes through with Moses. He was present with him. He praised God with him. And then as we see in the end of the story, Moses Jethro rather pushed Moses. Jethro saw what was happening, what Moses was doing, how Moses was carrying everything on his own, and he stepped in. Moses was caught up in this doing everything. Have you ever said to yourself, if, if this is going to get done, I have to be the one to do it? When I first started in youth ministry 15 years ago, I was a volunteer for a Youth for Christ club at Lincoln East High School. And I had no idea what I was doing with high schoolers, even though I was only two years out from being a high schooler. Because all my other ministry experience and all my other volunteering experience here at CPC growing up was with kids ministry and middle schoolers. And so I got into this realm where I was working with high schoolers, and I had no idea what to do with them. But I soon learned what to do with them, and I soon fell in love with being with them. And ministry started to control all areas of my life. I was a college student, so I was studying for classes. I was actively involved in my sorority. I was going to multiple sporting events at Lincoln East every week. I was going to club. I was planning club. I was having lunch with students. I was talking to students on the phone, because texting didn't exist back then, at night and trying to help them through their problems And by the time my senior year rolled around, my sorority sisters had noticed where I chose to spend all my time. And so my senior award at our senior banquet was soccer mom. (laughs) And it was true. I had spent all of myself out lovingly because I love my work. But I had a Moses complex. And if I was truly honest with you, I would say that I have a Moses complex. The only way this is going to get done is if I do it myself. I fully believe that Moses had a great level of trust in God, but he was doing too much, carrying it all, he was swept up in being everything for other people, and he was too caught up in trying to please God so much. As I was listening to John talk last week, I was nodding along because I have frequently seen the parallels of my own life and the Israelites. It hit home for me because I wander. I constantly forget about what God has done in my life. I complain. I want what I want when I want it. And it wasn't until this week that I sat in Exodus 18 that I said to myself, oh, have a lot in common with Moses, too. Because how many times have I said, but they come to me, but they need me, but I need to carry this, but I need to do this. How often are you so depleted with everything you have to do? And whatever your motivation is for carrying it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But doing all of that stuff and trying to carry it all on your own eventually will start to take a deep and potentially very dark toll on your life. And it's not like we generally ever get a different message from our culture, is it? Our culture gets really excited about people who are killing themselves to get ahead and juggling too many things. One of my seminary books on mentoring says this, we are busy, busy people. We are up to so many things, packing our schedules as tightly as we can. Sometimes we even wear our busyness as a badge of honor. Some of us mistakenly equate busyness with significance. And Charles Swindoll says that when you are overworked, drained, and exhausted because you have not delegated your workload as you should Irritation sets in, and following closely on the heels of irritation comes confusion, a loss of vision, burnout, and tragically, the loss of relationships. We get intoxicated thinking that we can do everything and be everything to everyone. It causes us to posture ourselves as if we are God, Instead of posturing ourselves as if God is God. And sometimes it takes a Jethro, a person willing to speak truth into our lives, a person willing to ask us the question, what is this you are doing? Why are you trying to accomplish so much And when I looked at those questions deeper, I saw that the themes of them was the first question of what are you doing is time and priorities. Where are your priorities? What are you giving your time to? And then that second question, why are you doing this alone? That's about relationships and the refusal to let people in and let people help us. And relationships are generally the first thing to suffer when we don't let people in because we've created isolation. Jethro knew that if Moses kept prioritizing the way he was and denying relationships, that he would wear himself out. The Hebrew word in verse 18 for wear out means to be withered with exhaustion. Jethro saw that Moses was literally going to fade away if he kept living like he was living. So he pushed Moses because he didn't want him to wear out. He wanted Moses to be able to go the distance. I want to share with you the story of my friend Jeff. My friend Jeff who had a Jethro moment in his life and listened to it. So take a look at Jeff's story.
1: When I was uh, 30 years old, I had a my wife at home and two small kids, and was doing like many of us do, pursuing a career, and um, climbing the ladder. And I, find my, I found myself uh, really at the end of my rope in many ways. Um, I uh, was beginning to sense that I was maybe climbing the wrong ladder. And I'd had a succession of promotions, so it felt like I was going in the right direction. Uh, But there was a day in January um, that year when uh, I had a succession of meetings, uh, a breakfast and a lunch, and then later that night with my wife, where a couple good friends um, more or less told me in in their own words that I needed to uh, figure out what I was really supposed to do. Uh, The spirit in which they were challenging me was, uh, I knew from a place of love, and and I think that's a gift. there was a mixture of emotions. It was deep down a sense of knowing they were speaking truth. Um, but it was truth that I wasn't excited to hear because I knew potentially what the implications of that were. It meant leaving a uh, what appeared to be a successful career, uh, the security of that, uh, the identity that came from that. Um, and there was, at a surface level, resistance. Working in, in jobs that were really not a fit um, brought me to a challenging place in my faith. I think um, there was for me a sense of, of just being ground down. And I think when when we're physically or emotionally um, ground down, I think that we're vulnerable um, to a lot of things that, you know, kind of our false self speaks up and, and it's easy to, to listen to that. Um, so for me, part of the, the reorientation was um, vocational, but it was also um i think that in many ways saved my soul you know when god wants our attention uh he starts by throwing a pebble um and and he'll throw pebbles uh and if we don't listen to that he'll he'll chuck the boulder um and and not maliciously but out of love and uh god was graceful in bringing pebbles in the form of my two friends and my wife molly and i look back on that and and as as hard as that season was and as hard as that day was um uh, I'm, I'm thankful because it was it was a time where God showed up in the form of these friends and my wife and redirected my path. And so that began uh, a path uh, that got harder before it got easier. Uh, I ended up resigning my position, but that was the beginning of a journey that uh, has continued through t- to today, 17 years later, uh, that I wouldn't trade. And that moment of um, being challenged to um, redirect my my path. Uh, I'm forever grateful for that.
0: I don't think that Jeff is the only person who needs Jethro's in their life. Because our fallen condition is always for us to play God, isn't it? Our drive for our own control, our own significance. And if we were forced, and for some of us, maybe it wouldn't take that much force... We would admit that we like being our own God too. We like figuring out and driving for our own worth and our own significance. We like juggling all those balls. The statement that the serpent says to Eve in Genesis 3 so clearly appeals to her sense of control when he says, the truth is that God knows the day that you eat from the tree, you will, be, you will awaken something powerful in you and become like him, possessing knowledge of both good and evil. You will awaken something powerful in you, and we crave that, don't we? We get intoxicated by that. And we run towards doing, towards being, towards busyness, towards juggling, towards all those false claims that this will provide significance or worth. This will give us our identity. In Shana Nikos' book, Present Over Perfect, as she is referring to the hustle of life, she said, in a way, it's a drug. And I fall for the initial rush every time. If I push enough, I'll feel whole. I will feel proud. I will feel happy. And what I feel, though, is exhausted and resentful, but with a well-organized closet. And my favorite two words in Scripture show us that maybe there's a different way but God, because God sent us a rescuer like he rescued Moses and to rescue us from the sin of our own trying, of our own being, of our own doing, so that we don't actually have to carry it. He sent Jesus to us so that Jesus would carry it, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus holds it for us so that we can walk in freedom. It doesn't mean that we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't care about things, but it means we do that with a different posture. And I look at the interaction between Moses and Jethro, and I see Jesus right in the middle of it. And I hear Jeff's story and he, with his two friends and his lovely wife, Molly, and I see Jesus right in the middle of it. I love that if you look back over this passage, you'll see that Jethro says to Moses multiple times that God has rescued them. Rescued them from the hands of Pharaoh. Rescued them from everything they went through in Egypt. God sent Jethro to speak truth into Moses in order to rescue him from his own fight for significance. Because God's desire, his heart, is to rescue us. And I will be the first person standing in that line to receive that rescuing because I am my own worst enemy and I want to make it on my own. I want to do it on my own. I want to be everything on my own. And at the end of the day, when I try and do that, I am exhausted. And I think to myself, this can't be the only way to live. I know that that intoxication provides some excitement and meaning and purpose. For a little while, but it soon fades. And I'm soon left tired again, wanting something deeper, wanting something more. And I wonder if you do too. My friend Lee pointed out to me one of the best lines in Exodus 18 is when Jethro says, Now I know. In verse 11. Now I know that your God is the one true God. Now I know that your God is the God who rescues. Jethro was saying that the God of Israel is the God who makes life worth living. Now I know. And for those of us who live on the other side of the New Testament, we can look to Jesus and say, now I know that Jesus saves me, that Jesus provides so much more significance, so much more of my my identity, so much more of my value and worth that I could ever hope or try to accomplish all on my own. Now we know that when we choose Christ, we choose that freedom. The life that Jesus lived is the life that he invites you to step into to the fullness, the authenticity, the vulnerability, and the sharpening, first with him and then with others. Let's pray.